This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we will explore the interesting stories of business executives, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders who are shaking things up and growing their companies. It is time to make some waves. Now here's your host, Tom Singer. This is Making Waves at Sea Level, the podcast for those who shake things up in business and are focused on growth and success. This episode is produced in partnership with the Austin Technology Council. The ATC is a 30-year-old association that is focused on promoting and facilitating the growth of technology companies across Central Texas. Over the past three decades, the business ecosystem of Austin has changed, and the Austin Technology Council is actively changing too. To learn more, visit austintechnologycouncil.org. My name is Tom Singer, and I have been hosting this show for over eight years and over 740 episodes. I am also the CEO at the Austin Technology Council, where I joined them just a few minutes, a few months ago. Feels like a few minutes ago. However, this podcast is not always focused on Austin and what's going on in Central Texas. But in the coming months, we're going to continue to interview the leaders from the Austin Tech community and the service providers that support those Austin tech companies because so much is happening in Austin that no matter where you are, you can pick up tidbits of information. And today, we're going to talk about workforce development. And we are joined by Michael Ward Jr. from the Austin Urban Technology Movement. Hey, Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tom. Glad to be here. Would you do me a favor? Tell everybody what the Austin Urban Technology Movement is all about. Sure. Uh, Very simple. Well, we diversify the tech industry and make sure that once individuals get inside the tech industry or or are already part of the tech industry, moves up inside the space, moves up inside the industry. Um, So we're all about making sure that we remove any barriers that make it very difficult for those that are black, for those that are Hispanic to excel and thrive inside the tech space. So the tech space isn't really one that we would always point at and say, wow, there's a diverse space. So what are some of the challenges that, that you face just, just with, with your organization? Uh, yeah, Tom, uh, definitely not at all. Uh, the tech industry is not one that you would point to and say, oh, that, that's very diverse. Um, and the reason why that is is because there's a huge disconnect between how we currently train and develop individuals for jobs of today, but also the jobs of the future. Um, And if you are in tech, you know that technology is constantly changing, constantly evolving. Um, There's pros, there's cons to that. Uh, But one of the biggest cons is just this disconnect between giving someone the real technical support, the training that they need to be successful. And when you combine that with the employers and those that hire the people, um, everyone is just really bent on the status quo and doing things habitual. Uh, without looking for true innovation to solve the problem, right? And, and this, the problem we're looking to solve is to increase diversity inside the space, but also 
just to make sure we have enough techies to be techies, right? Like there's just not enough people across the board to fill 4 million unfilled jobs right now inside the tech industry. Wow. Well, for those of you who aren't familiar with Michael or with the Austin urban technology movement, Michael is a community leader. He's really engaged and he's super enthusiastic about his cause and the cause of his organization. He is also a husband and father, and he's very dedicated to that. And he's a little bit of a sports fanatic. Okay, a lot of a sports fanatic. So he uses a lot of sports as sports analogies as metaphors for helping drive his team and the movement he's doing. But at his heart, he is driven by love. And so in everything you see him do, that love is at the foundation. So, Michael, we're going to have some fun talking about workforce development today and what it is you're doing to help train people of diversity so that they can fill all of those tech jobs that are out there and be able to thrive and grow amazing careers. So what are the challenges that we're facing in tech just across the board? What are some of the big challenges? Sure. Number one, there's not enough people, right? There's not enough people to meet demand. Um, there are so many tech jobs that are tech companies that have moved here to central Texas or to Texas for that matter. I'm looking to hire and place people in these roles, but there's just not enough people to meet demand. That's the number one challenge. Um, this challenge then, then allows us to not have the innovation around infrastructure, around policies, around practices, initiatives that make it very easy for someone who is not a tech or not in technology to be in technology or someone who doesn't have access to devices or internet to get the support that they need. Um, so we're seeing a challenge around talent. We're seeing a challenge around infrastructure and creating solutions that meet the demands of the community. And we're also seeing across the board that we're not leaning into those businesses that may not be in the right zip code or may not have the right board members or may not have the, the right number of, um, of clients under their belt that are doing good work that are really looking to make a difference, but they're just not able to really get over the, um, the barriers that kind of leaves them on the outskirts. Um, so when we're not seeing the true collaboration and innovation that we're seeing that allow any employer in Texas or central Texas to not only meet the needs of their workforce, but also begin to gain a market share, right? And begin to grow and develop because now they're bringing in so many, so much diversity inside their space to, to address whichever challenges is coming up within their market. So it's interesting. We, we talked about the fact that, you know, the way tech companies traditionally have hired. Let's talk mm -hmm. a little bit more about that. What is sort of the traditional ways that people get into tech and how has that created some barriers for people of color? Sure. The traditional way is either someone knows you, right? So they, hey, we're going to just go ahead and bring you in on board. Um, that is definitely geared towards those that have privilege that are able to do that. Um, secondly, is saying, hey, well, if you don't know the person, you could just bring on board. Well, then let's go to our four-year institutions, right? Let's go to these places that is, that's developing the talent that are getting people ready for them for us to hire. And then if we can't go to your four-year institution, then let's go to a boot camp, right? Let's go to a boot camp that is training these people outside of the four-year institution. And let's, let's work with those organizations or work with those people. Uh, so boot camps, four-year institutions, or just picking someone up that you know and placing them into the role is the traditional methods that we're seeing across the board. And, and why has that caused a lack of diversity? 
Yeah, well, number one, not everyone has access to education. So for your institution, right? Not everyone has um, moms and dads or grandparents or godparents or, uh, or mentors that are qualified, um, privileged, um, self-sustaining, high earners or executives that can just open up doors left and right. And in boot camps, you have to pay for them. Right. So there's a, there's a financial barrier that makes it difficult for people to get into four institutions or a quality um, education program or training program. But then we're also seeing that if you remove the, the finances, then it goes back to like, do you even know about these opportunities? Right. And I'm taking my own lived experiences as an example where I didn't find out about Oracle until a recruiter reached out to me my senior year of my last semester in college, right? So all of elementary didn't hear about technology outside of my systems, right? Whether it was Sega Genesis, whether it was Nintendo, PlayStation eventually, I'm not an Xbox fan, but like <laughs> that's what technology was for me, right? Like that's what it was. Middle school, high school, same thing. You know, phones, yes, phones are technology. So is a computer, of course it is. But it wasn't until I got to college speaking to that Oracle recruiter when I really start to see technology as an industry, I started to see technology as a career. I started to see technology as a way to innovate and provide solutions. That's completely different than someone telling you, Oh, Hey, use this, you know, cell phone, make a phone call. That's technology too. Right? Like, like there's a disconnect there that, um, that doesn't happen. There's a disconnect there that only can get, they can only overcome that is when you have these opportunities, when you're talking to someone from non-traditional ways where they tell you, oh, well, yes, you could go the four year institution route if you have the ability to do so. But if you don't, let me remove some of these geographical locations or some of these geographical barriers that is making it difficult for you just to see across the pond, right? So let me bring you to the zip code. Let me bring you to this resource. Let me bring you to this location where you can overcome some of these barriers and find a non-traditional way into tech. So every survey that I've ever read shows that when we have more diversity in our teams, in our management teams, on our boards, heck, even our in our circle of friends, when we mm -hmm. have more diversity, we all thrive more. We're exposed to different things. So companies know this, what's holding them back now from actually doing that? What's not happening in tech to be able to push, to open up doors for people of, of color and other diversity? I'm going to say two main things. When you think about the black and Hispanic community, the global majority, it's a lack of process change and a lack of culture exchange. Those are the two biggest things I would highlight because you're right, Tom, employers know this right? You know that if you're trying, I'm using my basketball analogy. If you are trying to win the NBA championship, you do not want everybody to be a guard. You don't, you need a center, you need some forwards. You need, a, of course you need a guard, but you also need a coach, you need a coaching staff, right? You need everybody to play a role in order to be successful. Um, and that's what's missing when it comes down to employers across the board, right? There are definitely some employers that are doing great work and I don't want to leave those out. But for those that are lagging behind, it's about taking a look at your team. Do you have diversity of thought? Do you have diversity of ethnicity? Do you have diversity of experience, right? If you don't have those things, well, then you're just missing out on a larger market share. You're missing on a larger impact. You're missing out of being able to engage and connect with someone. 
So these processes that we have in place that have been there for five years, 10 years, 15 years, 30 years, they're outdated, right? You have to change the way you're doing things, which is why a lot of employers now are leaning into apprenticeships, right? A lot of employers now are really talking about how can I lean more into my internship program? A lot of employers now are saying, hey, I need to partner with a workforce development organization or a training provider and develop my own talent pool because I'm not getting enough people or the right people through the typical channels that I go through, right? And we're seeing that from a process standpoint, but then when we look at the culture standpoint, is that we're not breaking bread, right? We're not having a meal together and talking about, Tom, who are you? Michael, who am I, right? Really get to know one another so that when Tom is not in the room, I can still vouch for Tom. I can know what Tom needs are and then go and address those needs on behalf of Tom. Um, so we don't have this cultural exchange that we used to have. And this virtual environment, in my opinion, doesn't help with that because now more people stay behind the screens versus getting in, getting in touch with somebody, meeting them face-to-face, understanding their needs, their desires, what they like to do. There's this lack of cultural exchange and humanity um, that is really allowing someone to be, which, which is allowing employers to be okay with paying one employee below a livable wage and then another employee above a livable wage, right? Like, like that is where this lack of cultural exchange really comes into play. So you talk about starting with internships and sort of home growing your own technology mm-hmm. people. I know that that's sort of a challenge because oftentimes companies want people who already have five years experience in whatever the area of technology they're hiring for is. And so they, they tend to go out and poach from one another. Uh, mm-hmm. This is true in Austin. It's true kind of in all the big tech cities right now. And they, they you know, people move around. It drives salaries up. Let's talk a little bit about internship training and some of the things that you do at the Austin Urban Technology Movement and how that is a great option for companies, even though it may not solve today's problem because it takes a little bit of time to train them up. What are, what are the programs you're doing and why is this a viable way that more companies should be doing? Sure. Well, to answer your question is that there's not a one-size-fits-all approach when it comes out to training and development. Some people like a structured environment. Other people need self-paced material. Some individuals are entry level, some are senior level looking for that extra level to get to the, to, to the next spot or to the next point. Uh, we have individuals that, that need oh, full-time options, part-time options, daytime options, night options, right? Um, so because the community is so, it, it, the, the community itself is so diverse, but it's made up of individuals with different lived experiences, you can't just go down one pathway thinking that's gonna solve all your problems or address the needs of the community. So internships and apprenticeships are two other pathways that allow you to tap into more talent options or talent pools. So internships, just think of it as a part-time job, right? That's the easiest way to think about it. An internship is a part-time job or an opportunity for you to give someone the experience that they're looking for, right? Um, so when employers say, hey, we need you to have X amount of experience, great, go and volunteer, go and intern to get that experience. Um, and this really allows the employer to customize what that training or learning path looks like for the intern. Now, the apprenticeship is what I really love uh, because the apprenticeship is literally taking somebody with no experience at all and you're combining the curriculum aspect of the training in addition to the on-the-job learning of the training. So now employers get to literally mold and shape their employees' 
from the beginning level without having to undo any behaviors they have learned from a previous employer that may be a detrimental to your organization. Um, so apprenticeships really go a step further and giving someone the skills and experience at the same time to maintain an employee or to continue to be an employee at that company versus an internship, right? There's no contractual agreement there. Uh, you're just an intern. It's most, most likely it's temporary. And then after the intern, you're going to go on somewhere else. Uh, but apprenticeship really allows the employer to not have to pay, I'm going to say entry level wages for an apprenticeship because the apprenticeship is below entry level from a wage standpoint because they're so new. Uh, but then you really get to invest and grow and develop someone who is, I forgot the stat on this, but I believe it was like 75% most, more likely to stay at your company because you invested that time and energy in them. Um, wow. So that is, that, that's what the value is. So, so two things. One is if you're listening, I, I can see him on video as we record this. When he started talking about apprenticeships, he lit up like a light bulb. His enthusiasm level, I mean, this is clearly, Michael, your your passion. And I love that stat that if you invest in these people through an apprenticeship program, then hire them full-time on and take them forward, they are more likely to stay with your company, which is so important in this day of people moving around you know, so often. That's super important. But how prevalent are apprenticeships now? Is this still in its infancy in the, in the tech industry or is it happening more than, than I'm aware uh, so I would say it's, it's happening more and more so now because it's actual funding going into support apprenticeships, right? So state and federal level are saying, hey, we need to go ahead and really provide these options for people to get inside the tech space so that we can meet our own demands, right? Because they need people to hire and train and get in the door. But a lot of candidates are choosing private sector over public sector, right? Because of the benefits and the increase in wages and pays and things of that nature. Um, however, the type of internships, though, I would say that is in this infancy stage. So there's a huge focus for apprenticeships in IT, information technology. There's not that much focus in apprenticeships in cyber, software developing, systems admin, data analytics, right? I mean, we could go on and on about all the different in-demand jobs that are out there. My question has always been, why don't we have an apprenticeship for every occupation? Why don't we have internships for every occupation? Why do we have apprenticeships and occupations for high school students, college students, and those out of college? Right? Like, like, why are we limiting our pathways or limiting the options as if the community is just a one size fits all? Like, why are we not diversifying the options in all of that? So, you know, it's also interesting. We hear a lot about companies saying, you know, now or at least in the future, that four-year degree isn't as important. If you're trained up and you can do the tech, if you can do the work, that's more important. Are we starting to see that become a real thing? And is, is that helpful then to increase that diversity pool? Is, is does this all play together and is it happening? Yes, definitely happening. Yes, it's all played together. And the reason that it, the reason why it's happening is because less people are going the four-year degree route. Right. Especially with this change of environment, the way that we work, that we're working now and where we are now adding technology to more sectors, more industries. We're seeing a shift where now the education system aren't securing or holding all the people. Now the, the students, the people, now they're going to boot camps, right? Now they're going through apprenticeships. Now they're starting their own company, right? So like the, the where people are going for in. 
man, now we have the internet. You could go to YouTube, you could go online and, and start studying so much information right now and then get experience by volunteering. There's a different way of going out there that's happening right now, which is really feeding into this um, non-traditional pathway. So employers that are looking around now can really say, if I continue to recruit from four-year institutions, I'm going to have less options because overall there's not enough people in these four-year institutions. So employers have to expand beyond the traditional model, which I'm not saying like completely stop and say, no, 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 still hire from four institutions, but you have to understand there's a huge audience out there that is not going down this pathway that you're missing out on. And do you think that because higher education has just gotten so ridiculously expensive, I mean, granted, you, you got to take inflation in, into, <laughs> into equa- in the equation, but when I started college in the mid 80s, I went to a state school in California and the California state schools were heavily subsidized by the government at the mm-hmm. time. They weren't a for-profit, you know, institute, mm-hmm. if you will, but it was $297 per semester for a full, for a full set of, 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 of units. It's now, I think in California, you know, I think it's like $12,000 or $14,000 mm-hmm. for the state schools and 18 or 20 for the UC system. That is a huge jump from $300 mm-hmm. to five or $6,000 per semester do you think that it getting so expensive has created these barriers for a lot of people, which in turn now have opened up these new paths? Is that, do you think this all plays in? Oh, for sure. I say that the financial obligation definitely is one of the contributing factors when it comes down to people going into four institutions. Uh, the second I would say is just the time, right? So here it is. I'm giving four years of my time to go and study this occupation or this area of focus when if I graduate high school, I can then go right into an apprenticeship program, work a year with the employer, and I'm already employed from day one. Plus, right? plus, if you're a couple of years older and maybe you didn't go to college or college didn't work out for you, and now you're in your late 20s or your 30s or, or beyond, and you're like, wow, tech looks like a really good field. This now gives you the ability to be able to go in and, and learn the technology skills to be able mm-hmm. to go into these jobs. Exactly. And that's where the connection is, where you can provide different pathways based on the lived experiences of that end user. So if you do not have the the financial um, stability to afford a four-year institution, then you're going to go to a two-year institution, right? Let me go to community college if I could go that that route. If that doesn't work for you, then you're tapping into the boot camp. So let me fucking tap into the boot camp to get the experience that I need. Um, But then... Outside of the financial obligation and the time, the last thing that I'll state just when it, when it comes down to people making this shift in this, this, um, this shift is that even if you go into the college system, there's no guarantee you're going to get a job. And, and, I, and, I, and that's where it really comes out to is that because there's no guarantee, that means there's a possibility that what I'm learning right now, spending four years of my life to get isn't actually going to get me a job. So then why am I spending four years of my life doing this, right? Um, so I think that's where people begin to look at alternative options where how can I train and develop myself for this specific job at a specific company, right? So that if I go through all these steps at the end of it, I should get the job versus the way that our current education system is. You go through all these steps, and then you have no idea what's going to happen at the end of it. 
So I call this show Making Waves at Sea Level. So if someone's listening to this and they run a company, they're the CEO, the CFO, the head of HR, you know, the 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 the, the chief sales officer, whatever. What do you wish all companies knew about the work that you do at Austin Urban Technology Movement? And and what should they take away at the company level from our conversation? We are the one-stop shop. And what I mean by that is that we have built our tech ecosystem to fill in the gaps from exposure to interest to training to job placement to then moving up within the company. Um, so when we started back in 2016, we realized that there were a lot of training providers. There were a lot of employers. But for whatever reason, employers cannot find training providers and training providers cannot find employers. Um, so that left a bunch of load of individuals that had skills, that had experience, that could not get hired. And that's where we came into play first by doing events to connect employers with hiring managers so they can meet. But after doing that for about a year and a half, we realized that we couldn't just do events. We actually had to get into workforce development to expand the overall talent pool so that our partners aren't poaching talents from each other. But they can actually have a, a breadth or um, a, a list of individuals to go and engage with. And that's where we come into play to help them every step of the journey. Um, so we work with institutions to source talent. We work with organizations to source talent and provide resources. We work with governmental ent entities and agencies to provide resources and source talent so that when anyone comes to us, if they have a barrier or a roadblock on the end user side, we can provide them with the support that they need. And if an employer needs to work with a specific targeted demographic within our audience, we can provide that as well. Uh, so we are a one-stop shop when it comes down to workforce development and really making sure people get in the door, but then also move up within their companies through continuous education. So what, what is the highlight and what's the biggest challenge of running this organization? The biggest highlight is seeing the, the emotion on people's face once they hit a milestone. We've seen people go from never having a computer to having a computer, internet, a hotspot, basic computer skills, and digital literacy within six months and literally cry because of their first time having this equipment. We've seen people who've lost their jobs that was a veteran living on the street now get a job working inside the tech industry. So the biggest highlight is the stories and the impact of the people that we're having and then being able to speak about that to show people this is how you do it. Like, like this is what workforce development means. These are the people that need the most support and most assistance. So let's give these, these people what they need so that the overall economy can benefit. The, the challenge is that we don't have enough employers that are stepping up to the plate. Um, here in Texas alone, we have 24 million people living in poverty. 24 million people. And one out of three households still do not have internet access. So if I'm an employer, right, I'm here in Texas, and I'm thinking about talent, thinking about hiring people, thinking about development, well, are you even thinking about tapping into that 24 million people that are just there waiting and just needing for you to tap, you know, just to open up your doors, right? Are we gonna let that 24 million people just sit there and we're going to continue to recruit from outside of Texas, outside of Austin, 
recruit from other places instead of developing the talent that's here in Texas to fill these jobs. Um, so that is what is the biggest challenge because I'm a, I'm a big believer that there's plenty of jobs. There's plenty of jobs out there. That means there's plenty of jobs across other industries, but yes, there's plenty of jobs. We just have to train and develop people for those jobs. And if we do this right, well, then each of the local cities will have their talent pool developed and trained for the businesses that are there. And then you just rinse and repeat wherever you are. So this episode is co-produced with the Austin Technology Council. So when you look at the whole ecosystem of Austin moving forward, what excites you about, about tech and Austin? That's a good question. Uh, the biggest thing I would say that excites me is the innovation. Uh, there definitely is a desire to make Austin a smart hub, right? To really make Austin a tech hub. And in order to do that, you have to remove a lot of these barriers that only benefit a select few. Uh, so I am hopeful <laughs> that with the direction and advancement of technology, with more businesses that are expanding here or relocating here, that there are definitely opportunities out there. Now it's going to be up to those well-minded, well-intentioned employers and nonprofits and individuals to go out there and make sure those opportunities benefit those that are underserved and underrepresented. That is what is the, the biggest, I want to say, you know, moving forward, that's where I see as Austin continues to grow and shape and just change overall. So, Michael, if people want to learn more about the Austin urban technology movement, how do they find you? Yeah, you can Google Austin Urban Technology Movement. That's the easiest thing to do. Uh, but we're online and our social media handle is at Autumn HQ. So A-U-T-M-H-Q. That's our social handle on the channels that we're on. And you can find a wealth of information on our website. And if you Google us, we come up. We're the only Austin Urban Technology Movement. Nice. Well, you're, you're doing great work and we appreciate you. Uh, we enjoy partnering with you at the Austin Technology Council. Thank you so much for being a guest. Thank you, Tom, for having me. This is a great conversation. Hey, and thanks to everybody who tuned in and listened to this podcast. Do me a favor. Go and subscribe on Apple, on Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast joy. And go out there and make waves in your own business community. And have some fun along the way. And whatever it is that you do, find a way to positively impact the people who you encounter today and every day. Thank you for listening to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast. Without your listening to these in-depth conversations, there would be no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>